Sometimes we have learnt, which is rather a polite concept for indoctrination, that our life has to be very specifically and tightly woven into doing, and into doing with a very uh, clear, specific direction to it. And we have learned, we have been told, that this life is all about what we do and about the capacity in life to achieve certain targets. Targets which have been given to us, targets which we have internalized and projected, and we have said to ourselves and said to each other, these goals, these targets, are our uh, priority and they consume a great deal of our time and thought and, and perhaps our life too. And then we have reflected upon what is in fact going to make the particular target or targets which I have uh, set myself possible. What do I need to do to make that which I am working towards happen? <coughs> and we have said to ourselves that one feature is knowledge. I need to know a great deal about that specific subject matter. I then secondly, I need to apply effort and willpower and to keep working very, very hard towards that particular goal or goals which I have set myself. I need to be extremely single-minded <coughs> in my endeavor and not really allow anything else to interfere or, or intrude in my desired uh, end in life. And if I can do all that, and with a bit of luck and a little bit of life conspiring to meet my particular goal, I will get and I will achieve and I will be regarding myself and will be regarded by others as a successful human being because the measure of success becomes achieving targets. We have perhaps felt at times concern about this. And we have also noticed at times that right from the beginning of that movement towards that achievement, the issue and the question of self, of one's ego, is actually involved in that force, in that we might say life force. And our sense of self-worth our sense of who we are and what we are doing is tied up with that knowledge, that effort and willpower, that determination, and what happens from start to finish of this I want and I am going towards, what happens from start to finish, in that movement we decide all manner of things about ourselves. 
all manner of things. We assess ourselves, we judge ourselves, we determine our self-worth by it, we determine our uh, capabilities, our capacities, our whole sense of our self, our ego structure is tied up and bound up with that whole movement towards what we wish to achieve. And we have, be and we have become clone-like. We have become to believe in this. We have come to believe in it with such strength and such conviction and with such conditioning that we can't imagine anymore. We can't perceive that perhaps that whole movement and the ego that goes along with it, the self-idea that accompanies it, is a huge social conspiracy. It's a fictionalized account of true nature. <coughs> then we come into spiritual life, perhaps incidentally if this word gets used enough and often enough it will eventually go the way it deserves and become redundant. But sometimes in spiritual life, awareness life, conscious life, life, inquiry life, whatever we want to call it, what we find that we do, and it's understandable because of the potency of the conditioning, is we transfer that model of life. Knowledge, striving, doing, pushing hard and working towards, we transfer it into this room, in fact. We transfer it into the walking periods. And we get an idea of ourselves that while I am here, I, and this is the birth of the ego in a moment, I want to achieve something from this. I want, very understandable and very naturally, the thought is, I want to get something from this. Because if I am to put in so much time and attention and, and go through all of this, morning, noon and night, then surely, having done that from 5.30 in the morning till 10 or 10.30 at night, surely I deserve something for it. <laughs> because if I don't get something for me from all this, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> so any kind of activity that you and I participate in, the self arises and the eye is there, ego is there, strong or soft form that it might take. And one says, I want to achieve, I want to get something for me because I have put so much into this. And it becomes extremely difficult, if not nigh on impossible, to say, I am not interested to get anything from it. I'm quite happy sitting here and suffering. <laughs> And no matter how many times, mantra-like, <laughs> we try to repeat something uh, like that. I have no goals, I am not trying to achieve, I am not trying to succeed, <laughs> etc. That something within us, within our life, won't accept it. It believes, 
it has a strong conditioning that I do something for something and I will either succeed or I will fail. Is that the sum total of our existence? Is that the only way of the being in this world? Another factor, too, of ego, of uh, self, is we can be experiencing in one way, and this is one of the internal paradoxes of uh, human beings, we can be experiencing one way, and the thought and the description and the attitude to our self can be in, in quite some degree of contradiction, which we're not actually aware of. So one of the ways which we notice the self arising is the self-judging. And we say to our self, so to speak, we say to each other, one thing which I keep noticing about myself as a person on this earth is that I keep judging myself in a negative way. I'm constantly putting myself down. I'm constantly ridiculing myself. I'm constantly expressing doubts about my self-worth and whether I am good for anything or good for nothing. And this thought and the, the pattern of it, the conditioning of it, has a peculiar idiosyncrasy about it. Because the thought says, you know, I am no good, I can't do this, I am not ready for this, uh, I always fail, it's, it's just not something that's possible for me. And the idea, and it's an important point here, the idea is being conveyed that there is a self independent of the judgment. Do you understand? The judgment comes in and says, you know, I can't do this, whatever I try, I never succeed. And it gives this peculiar appearance in one's life, in one's fictional life, remember, no truth in, in, uh, in ego. In, it gives the appearance that the commentary, in this case the negative judgmental commentary, is a comment on some separate individual self. I am talking about, we say, myself. But what happens when the commentaries stop? The judging stops, the negative reactivity stops. And the whole question of the self is not quite as solid as it seems. In other words, the judging voice, the harsh voice, the reactive voice, the angry voice, the selfish voice, the fearful voice, all of that seems to confirm an ego which is experiencing something that way. As though the ego, the self, is separate from the fear, from the greed, from the reactivity, from the judging. Who can show it? Who can show this? Who can show this self? So when we're talking about self, we're talking about ego, what we're talking about is a certain movement. 
That's all. There's no self separate from the movement. We're talking about a movement which is going on. When I was a monk in the monastery of what uh, China means, the monastery at the end of the rice paddy, it's in uh, uh, small Tambon, it's a tiny district of Nakhon Si Tamarat. Nakhon Si Tamarat, the, the literal meaning of that town is the city of the kings of Dharma. And the reason for that town is that when uh, the Buddha Dharma uh, left India to go further afield, the place where the two monks uh, arrived was uh, in this uh, area which is now called and has been of course since that time as the as Nakhon Sri Dhammarat, city of the kings of Dharma. There I spent uh, some three uh, years in uh, practices and spiritual explorations as we are engaged in here and one day with the teacher Ajahn uh, Dhammadaro we were sitting, a number of us, some monks and nuns sitting and one of the uh, young nuns in that room turned uh, the teacher Ajahn, Ajahn turned to her, she was 11 years of age, she had been I think in the monastery a couple of years uh, at that time um, uh, fine person of uh, spiritual uh, exploration and as she commented from time to time the wonderful thing about doing serious uh, spiritual practice when you're nine and ten years of age is that you don't have much memory and I thought that was a <laughs> The teacher turned to her and just swiveled on her and he said in Thai uh, Ben Ataarai, Ben Ataarai. And that means what is the ego? Just turned him. We're just talking about different uh, things, a spiritual practice, and an 11 year old girl sitting, sitting there in her robes and in her shaved head. What is the ego? And most of us would think, oh my God, is there a book, is there a book around? Anybody, you know, can we have a description? Any psychotherapists in the room or whatever? <laughs> and she looked at him and without blinking an eyelid, she said, um, Atta Benduka, which means ego is unsatisfactory. Straight eyeball to eyeball response. Ego is unsatisfactory. Ego is suffering. So, rather than trying to posit some individual separate self, what we say is that in certain movements in our life, which take place, some of those movements are very clearly unsatisfactory. That unsatisfactoriness, greed, aggression, arrogance, conceit, fear, anxiety, then self-judging patterns or whatever they might be. That movement there, we call this, unsatisfactory, we call it ego. We call it the self-movement, we might say. In the experience of this, in the uh, aware awareness of this, that movement, as I say, and to uh, continue a little here with you with the paradox I referred to, that when the negative judging, therefore the movement is unsatisfactory, habitually self-critical, whatever the form it may take, when that movement is taking place, 
for some time the move sometimes the movement and the feeling inside that woman the s- inside of that man seem to correspond the negative judging and one feels negative one feels low one feels dispirited by the circumstances of life and the feeling of the heart and the negative judging the self the ego movement seems to be correlating with each other and it can gain such a correlation in life we actually believe it we believe this conditioning we believe this pattern we think this ego this movement which is a fiction is the truth of who we are what greater tragedy can befall a human being to believe that that unsatisfactory movement is the truth of who she is who he is who we are this fiction this lie this this deceit of human existence but sometimes as i say there's a paradox and i hear see this paradox regularly when meeting and with talking to people and the person is using the their familiar negative self-judgmental language towards themselves but what actually is emerging out of themselves even in the midst of talking is warmth and kindness and humor and lightness while in the thick of saying you know i just haven't done anything worthwhile i'm not doing anything worthwhile and the person smiling away and bright and you know and yet the thought of the moving self the moving ego is moving across and the only kind of analogy that i can think of is when a person uh, when if we put on some of these uh, a pair of sunglasses and we look out through the sunglasses and we say the world's brown the whole world has really gone brown it's honestly it's the truth everything is brown there and sometimes in those more peculiar sunglasses if you look into uh, Thai when the king has he got and when he was a monk he had big black ones on and sometimes people say to me the world is black my whole life is black <laughs> i don't know if the king had this thought it might well be shantas and that blackness is because we're looking through the fiction we're looking at through the fiction of who we imagine we are who we have decided who this superficial irrelevant unimportant distracting empty self we we taking that to be the way things are sometimes i've said to a person said to one person today I said tell me of who you are but please please don't speak out of your old conditioning don't speak of your old this old self this old dukkha this old unsatisfaction speak of who you are without your glasses on doesn't didn't didn't know what to, she said, I can't think of anything so you can't think really i never can think of anything and immediately the pattern is back can't think of anything and never say anything right <laughs> and it's not an isolated incident it's not one person's life it's a common life how come that we can have this belief in this fiction and this fiction 
inhibits the opportunity to really discover who we are, which is not tied to the past, not tied to the perception of oneself. Sometimes, I'm trying to say this is as much uh, uh, emptiness as I uh, uh, can, sometimes a person in a dialogue like this, sometimes a person says, will say to me, um, oh, Christopher, it's easy for you, you just ask the questions, and I confess it's extremely uh, easy to uh, ask the questions. And what I can say with regard to that is that any question, more or less, that I have ever asked anybody and anybody that I have ever uh, leaned on, so to speak, in inquiry or small groups or one-to-one, -one, that I can say I have been lean, leaned on, lent on equally as hard and certainly many times through teachers and teachings, um, much harder. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. <laughs> in a nice way, we hope. So sometimes a person has said to me, Christopher, do you have this, you know, negative, self-judging, getting, getting on your own case, etc., etc.? And I can say in uh, honest, honesty, no, I do not have that. So then the person has said, this happened a number of times over the years when I've explored this negative theme with the person. The person said to me, well, all right then, Christopher, speak about yourself without the glass, without any glasses, if you say you haven't got any glasses. And my, re my response is, and um, how long would you like me to speak? <laughs> <laughs> and that can be said, that we sometimes, there's a kind of, I think, um, strange situation with this, that the um, emptiness of this movement of ego, the emptiness of this picture that comes through, that sometimes there's a strange thing with human beings. And I've noticed, I'm sure you have done in this, in our inquiries in small groups, that we've got so used to this, so used to it, that we begin to feel more comfortable talking about problems, talking about my difficulties, talking about what's happening to me and all the judging, than we have to talk, then talking about something other than that. It's almost as though, in a very sad way of the human plight, that we've begun to believe in this fictionalized account of our life and we reinforce it. And then when sometimes a person speaks of her or his experience of joyfulness as one person was speaking in a small group today or, or, or of peace or of being touched by something which is uh, of a different order and, and dimension, how easily the listener all the listeners can come and say, oh, it's their ego, they're just trying to show off. <laughs> <laughs> they, just, they, just, they just want to impress. That, 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 that. So actually, deep down, they're as miserable as I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes this, this view, this conditioned view of who we are and what we, what we are in a ne negative way, it, it, it becomes part of this conspiracy. We can only accept the self-judgments and the negative ones from others or of ourselves. And we can't even find the words to speak without those darkened sunglasses that stop the beauty and the variety of light of. 
But as I say, the life of patterns and the life of the movement of the ego, which is not about the ego. The movement is the ego. The movement is the activity. There's no permanent self. It's a fiction of, uh, of thought. That in that movement which takes place, sometimes, of course, it goes the other way as well. Sometimes we speak of I, and not speaking in the negative terms, but we keep speaking to boost our sense of self-importance. And we see that that movement in that fiction is one in which sometimes we wish to impress other people. And we see that we, get, we have swung as a reaction sometimes against the negativity of the ego to a positivity of the ego. The feeling is better, one feels a bit more positive. One boosts oneself up. One praises oneself. One likes to show to others who one is or what one is doing or what we have achieved. And the movement of the positive and the movement of the negative are different in terms of pleasant and unpleasant, but it's still the movement. Still the movement. This movement can be like a shadow over our life, and this movement can be moving us, mo literally, actually, experientially, moving us right through life until death comes and cuts off the existence right in the middle of one of our movements. One of the teachers that Shadra and I were working with, he uh, <laughs> had a small group, meet, small group meeting. One person's uh, ego was on pretty big swing, does sometimes uh, happen. And uh, he tried to discuss and explore and look at this movement that was taking place and. Uh, person's ego was in uh, really on, on, on the go in heavy judgmental views and opinions about this, that and the other and very uptight and very agitated. And uh, one of our friends, teachers, turned to him in a small group and he said, nuke your ego. <laughs> nuke it. It means nuclear bomb, I think you know what it means. Blow it. Yeah. So sometimes... Um, he didn't. <laughs> Sometimes we say, or we say to others, my ego is so big. His ego, their ego, whatever, is so big. The moment one has an image, very pleased to be watchful of this, the moment that one has a, has a quantity thing going on about the ego, the moment that you and I start thinking in terms of the size of the ego, the bigger that we imagine it is, what it tends to do is to produce an opposite reaction which says that the bigger it is, then the bigger the attack on it will have to be. So if the ego is, is uh, growing like fungus, one feels one has to pull it apart. If the... Uh, Ego is um, getting like a balloon. One feels one's got to get hold of a pin from somewhere and stammer it. 
if it uh, feels like um, uh, a monster, one has got to blow it apart or destroy it or whatever. So in the very thinking about ego, thinking about the force of the unsatisfactory movement of life, the m if we give it size, or we give it shape, which it doesn't have any of these things, but fiction goes on, then we say, then I've got to do this, this, and this about it. And who's going to be successful in destroying what has no substance? So, as I say, with the movement that occurs, and in the relationship to it, can we bring, can we sense and experience therein a complete loss of belief? Loss of belief. Loss of belief in the building up of positivity about ourselves to boost it in some way, to inflate it. And the equally, the loss of belief in its negative, in the negative expression. One simply doesn't believe it anymore. One is tired of it. One is exhausted with it. One feels it's a complete distraction to life. That one can't ever lay one's hands on it anywhere. One can't get to grips with it. One can't hold it. One can't put it in a, a box and nuke it. In its movement, one simply doesn't believe. That's all. One just doesn't believe. And why, does one, why is it that one doesn't believe anymore? Why is it that the loss of belief is liberation immediately, is awakening immediately, is realization immediately? Because there is nothing inherent to believe. Not because it's a kind of way of avoiding or escaping or denying or whatever, there's nothing there to believe. Similarly, when we put the glasses on and we look out, the world isn't brown. It isn't black. And since it isn't brown and black, we don't have to worry about cleaning the world up and making everything pure and cleaning and getting it all back. One just simply sees and realizes the fiction of the glasses. So as I say, with ego, and as the Buddha said beautifully, he said it's, it's a, a fiction, it's um, um, a mirage, it's a ghost, it's an abstraction, it's a bubble, as a lovely word he used, it's a bubble. No truth in it anywhere. And when there's no truth in, in, in it anywhere, there's no destroying. There's no blowing it apart. There's no thinking, I have got to get rid of my ego. That's the thought of the ego giving itself substance. Only an ego would think such stupid thoughts. Let's end this belief once and for all. Let's just see the end of this belief, acknowledge the end of this belief. That ending of the belief 
action is of a different order, being is of a different order, the way of experiencing life is of a different order, the belief has gone. And then there's a, a natural joyfulness with life. No pressure of positivity and negativity, no pressure from the, the, the past, none of that, it's gone. May all beings see into life. May all beings see through the fictionalized account of life. May all beings be realized. <coughs> Let's have two or three quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.